there are a lot of opposing fans, even some beat reporters, that view Shane Beamer in a negative light. And the question isn't whether or not their opinions are wrong, but really why they think this way in the first place. You are Locked On Gamecocks, your daily podcast on the South Carolina Gamecocks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Gamecock Nation, and welcome back to the Locked On Gamecocks podcast, your show for the latest headlines and potential storylines on South Carolina Gamecock athletics. I'm Andrew Lyon, the host of this podcast, and also a staff writer for Gamecocks Digest over on SI.com. Thank y'all so much for making the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast your first listen or watch here today. We are free and available both on YouTube and wherever you get your audio podcasts daily. Obviously, we all know how much South Carolina Gamecock fans love Shane Beamer. Love, obviously, what he's done on the football field, how he has ingratiated himself into the Columbia community, and what all he does for his players. But not everybody feels this way about Shane Beamer. And I'm particularly talking about opposing fans and even some beat reporters from other media circles that have some real negative feelings about Shane Beamer. And when listening to these people try to characterize Shane Beamer, it is clear that that group of people don't have Shane Beamer nailed down as a person and as a coach. Some of the things that other fans and beat reporters have said about Shane Beamer are as follows. He's a used car salesman. He acts like a petulant child. He is a dork. He is a goofball. He is corny. Whatever negative adjective you can throw out there, that is what other fans and beat reporters have used to describe Shane Beamer and the way, I guess, he acts as the head of South Carolina's football program. Now, the first question we're going to broach with this topic is this. Is there any validity to these comments, to these opinions that these people have. Well, personally, from what I've witnessed Shane Beamer do so far in his time in Columbia, what I'm sure many of you have seen him do, I don't think there's any validity to what these people say. If there's anything that you could poke at when it comes to Shane Beamer's personality, or I guess sort of the way that he acts as South Carolina's head football coach, There are times where Shane Beamer very much wears his emotions on his sleeves. And when he does that, depending on the situation, it allows for people to take his overall response to whatever the situation is completely out of context or basically overblow it. There's a couple of examples that we can go back to and refer. The Dow Loggins introductory press conference debacle, where basically Shane Beamer called out a bunch of the media members and said that you haven't talked to the people that I've talked to. It came off, admittedly, as somewhat condescending. And he also called out a couple of reporters by name and basically said that they were trying to almost, in a way, downgrade the hire. At least it seemed like they were. There were his find some joy comments after the Vanderbilt game in 2022, which obviously he did not mean for it to be taken a certain way. But once South Carolina lost to Florida the very next week, Shane Beamer eventually had to come back to these comments 
and clarified them to make sure that the fans understood that he was not trying to direct those comments towards them. There was the 105 stars comment from the Georgia press conference after the 2021 contest. Because somebody, I guess, asked, you know, what all happened or why did he feel like the game got away from them that night? And that was plainly what he thought. Georgia just had more talent. And then, of course, there were the JV comments that he made about the fan, the upstate radio station up in the upstate of South Carolina, regarding their reporting on Garrett Riley and potentially any pursuit that South Carolina may have had when it came to the offensive-minded coach. In some instances, as I have alluded to, Shane Beamer has gone after some media members, and admittedly, there is sort of this coalition-type mentality when it comes to the media, where if certain media members get attacked by an authority figure in sports, especially coaches, then they will try to fight back in a sense, because there's this mentality of, you know, coaches just need to take the brunt of what these reporters are putting out there. Because more often than not, it's all meant to be in a trustworthy manner. They're not trying to just completely degrade everything you're doing with your program. They're just trying to report the facts. Or at least that's the way that most media members view it. Even if it's not a media circle that they are familiar with. You could definitely take that and relate that to what all happened with the fan back in this off season. So besides Shane Beamer's emotionally charged moments that he has on certain occasions, why is it that some people, opposing fans, and again, beat reporters alike, view him in such a negative manner? Well, there's a few different things that I can think of here. Right now, Shane Beamer coaches for a program in South Carolina that historically has been disrespected greatly by the regional and national media. And obviously, a lot of that South Carolina has brought on themselves, partly because they've not been very successful throughout their football program's history. But Shane Beamer is the first head football coach in a good while. You could probably include Steve Spurrier in this conversation as well. But you know that Shane Beamer is one of the few that this program has ever had, where he does not take crap off of any reporter that tries to demean the football program. He has no problem keeping receipts, basically recalling things that have been said about his program at an earlier date, especially if it was negative, and bringing it back up to said people or referring to it at a press conference when South Carolina has had some success. Obviously, people don't like to be made out like they are stupid, especially media members analysts, pundits, people who do this kind of stuff for a living and who love to be right, which, admittedly, a lot of us like to be right. So, that's going to rub some people the wrong way in the media space. The other thing is, Shane Beamer goes against the grain of being the typical cookie-cutter type coach that we see in football. He uses the word love a lot around his football program, regarding his players especially. He always tries to find the bright side of things, even in light of bad circumstances. He has had plenty of moments where he has held back tears, quite literally, when talking about his team after a game has ended, especially usually games that have a really good ending, but also games like the Gator Bowl from the 2022 season, where, you know, it hurt him 
that that group was never going to be coming back together as one whole unit ever again after that night. So what does all of that lead to? Well, it leads to the fact that, quite frankly, there's a lot of people out there in college football that have no idea how to describe Shane Beamer to other people. So, because they don't know how to describe him, they basically lean on lazy, generic verbiage in place of what you could say about him, which is that Shane Beamer is a family man. Shane Beamer is clearly a player's coach. Shane Beamer is a true coach's coach. He looks after his assistant coaches on his staff. Sometimes Gamecock fans might feel like he looks after them a little bit too much, but nonetheless, he is somebody that makes sure that his assistants are taken care of. He's a great in-game adjuster, mid-season adjuster, if you will, as well. He is self-motivated. He is personable. He talks to everybody in the football operations building. And there's plenty of other things that you could probably say about him. So, at the end of the day, what is going to change people's opinions about Shane Beamer? The opposing fans, beat reporters that have a sour taste in their mouth about Shane Beamer. What's going to change their mind on him? Well, simply put, him winning games will make people stop talking about him in that way. And eventually, hopefully this does not happen, but... If he gets beat up enough by opposing fans and eventually maybe national reporters, he could end up becoming more robotic at pressers, which for people like me and quite honestly anybody that pays attention to these kind of press conferences, it would suck because we want him to be genuine. We want these head coaches to be genuine, but if we're going to ask that, then certain media members out there cannot be criticizing these coaches whenever they are being themselves. But that's a whole other topic for another day. Point being, there are a lot of people out there that still do not view Shane Beamer in a favorable way. And obviously, there's nothing that we can necessarily do right now to change that. But my overall point of bringing up this entire topic is to say that their thoughts are misguided, quite frankly. That's not to say that Shane Beamer is perfect. Shane Beamer has made some mistakes in terms of maybe, again, not thinking through how something can be interpreted at a presser. He is going to make more mistakes down the road. But he is not some petulant child. He is not some dork. And he's not some corny goofball. He clearly is one of the best coaches right now in the SEC. One of the best. And if he continues to progress on the football field like he has in his first two years in Columbia... He's going to be viewed as one of the best in this conference and also one of the best in all college football. He comes from a great pedigree in the sport. He didn't stumble his way to this job. Some people outside of the state need a real harsh reminder of that from time to time. Don't be afraid to give it to them if you know people like that. But anyways, let's get away from that topic. I'm going to be talking with Locked On Tar Heels host, Isaac Shade, in just a couple moments, we'll be discussing the upcoming matchup in 2023 between South Carolina and North Carolina. What makes Drake May a good quarterback for the Tar Heels? What are his thoughts about this game possibly not happening as often due to the future changes the SEC scheduling model is going to have? We'll dive into all of that and more in just a couple moments right here on Locked On Gamecocks. But first, today's show is brought to you by 
FanDuel. Baseball season is obviously in full swing, and there's no better place to get in on the action than FanDuel. Because if you're a new customer that joins FanDuel today, you can get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. The Cincinnati Reds, I gotta be honest, they are on an absolute tear right now in the National League. I believe they are still currently the division leaders in the National League Central Division. Ellie De La Cruz, he's probably the runaway favorite right now to win the Rookie of the Year, at least in the National League, and maybe, if not all of Major League Baseball, if they got such an award. If you want to put some money down a prop bet like that, or any other prop bet, don't miss your chance to snack a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. FanDuel is the official betting partner of Major League Baseball. Welcome back to today's edition of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast, where we cover your South Carolina Gamecocks every single day. And as always, thank you to all of you every day for making the Locked On Gamecocks podcast your daily choice for South Carolina Gamecock sports coverage. I've talked with a lot of SEC-related hosts from the Locked On Podcast Network, but for today's show and today's interview, we're going to branch out a little bit, and we're going to go over into ACC territory and discuss South Carolina's Week 1 matchup with Locked On Tar Heels host Isaac Shade. Isaac, welcome to the show, man. Thanks, Andrew. So good to be here, bringing all the Carolinas together. I'm here for it. Yeah, without a doubt. Certainly one of the more underrated matchups that takes place in college football and college sports as a whole. Something that, you know, personally I would like to see happen more often. I'm sure that maybe there's some North Carolina fans that feel the same on their end. But, you know, this year that is going to take place. And when it comes to the football series between both of these programs, Isaac, uh, it's been a pretty close battle, honestly, between both of these schools. Each of the past three matchups have taken place in Bank of America Stadium, where this year's matchup has taken place. Three of the past five matchups have been decided by six points or less. 2019 sort of kick-started the second run for Mac Brown up there in Chapel Hill. Sam Howell bursting onto the national scene with a big win over South Carolina. Sort of, in my opinion, was the first signal that the Will Muschamp era was going to come to an end sooner rather than later. And then 2021, South Carolina got some... Longly awaited revenge against Sam Howell and the Tar Heels. So, Isaac, what have your overall thoughts been on this series and some of the past few matchups that have taken place? Um, I'm right with you, Andrew. I mean, it has been close. I mean, we we won't look that uh, out beyond that. The Gamecocks have won like seven of the last nine in the series. We'll just kind of <laughs> push that aside or 13 <laughs> of the last 19, you know, digging in to the series. But it, it has been. You're right. Like, I believe if if my counting is right and I passed kindergarten, so I think I got it right. This is the 56th matchup, but it's pretty close head-to-head. The Tar Heels, thank you very much, do have the slight lead, 35-20, to 20, and I think four ties overall. And uh, But I, I'm, I'm with you. I wish this matchup could happen. I love it at Bank of America. I think that neutral site location is a lot of fun, can get both fan bases in there in big numbers. I, I do think campus games are always fun. So if, if it was a regular thing, I would love to see it head uh head to the campuses and like home and homes but uh man the way uh football scheduling goes these days basketball schedule, i mean everybody's schedules are just changing in such a way 
that unfortunately I don't think it will be too much of a regular thing, but I think it, I think it legitimately is really good for both programs. I love it. Just like you said, from the 2019 game, I love it. Kickstarting the season. I think that's awesome. We should be our matchup. My friend should be the premier matchup of week one. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say right now, Isaac, I think that college game day is going to cover the game because you look at that Saturday, there are some other matchups throughout the entire weekend, but people forget LSU and Florida State, I believe, is taking place on Sunday, and I think Clemson plays at Duke, weirdly enough, on Monday night on Labor Day. And so South Carolina, North Carolina, that's going to be the biggest game, I think, that Saturday night. So without a doubt, I think there's going to be a lot of national coverage for a lot of reasons, because of all the headlines going into this one. And, you know, Isaac, you mentioned that you wish that this game took place more often. Of course, I sympathize with you on that. But unfortunately, uh, it might occur at a lesser rate in just a couple years because the SEC, obviously, for now, they're still at eight games. But there's a well, lot that's of been a thing. That's been a thing. Yeah, yeah, no, it's really, it has been a thing. It, you know, they seem like they're getting closer to a decision. Then it's like, we'll kick the can down the road for another year. But it seems like inevitably a nine-game schedule is going to come to the SEC. So, Isaac, how do you feel about the prospect of, you know, maybe this game doesn't happen anywhere near as much because the Gamecocks, they're going to be playing Clemson. That's 10 really tough games right there. And for South Carolina, I'm not going to hint that they're going to run away from maybe some extra competition, but it would certainly maybe handicap them compared to the rest of their SEC counterparts in that scenario. I completely agree with you, Andrew, because I mean, there's a couple things to it, both the competitive side of it and filling out your buy games. Like you have to have games in which you can get backups or inexperienced players in the football game. And if literally every game is SEC or completely high level competition, you don't have opportunities to do that unless you're playing Vandy. Right. And so, (laughs) right. Like, I think it like people always try to blow up Notre Dame like, oh, look at us. We're the only team that never put whatever. You need moments to get your younger inexperienced guys in and you need moments to fill out the uh, season ticket package. And that's not going to be able to happen if you're going to have Clemson every year, depending on if Clemson stays in the ACC or not, which is a whole other conversation. And um, if the SEC goes to this nine game schedule, which has to happen. Like it's just going to be where things are going. And then you need, I mean, that that's 10 games right there. You need a couple against inferior opponents to catch your breath, try some stuff and get guys in. So, you know, maybe we could pull it off every five years or so, but even then I just, I don't know if that's doable in the new way of things, unless you expand the total number of games you're playing, which I don't think they should for these young college men. No, yeah, I think it's already ridiculous that, you know, some of the best teams in the country now, they're going to have to play 16, 17 games, just about almost an NFL slate of games if they want to just win a national title. And, you know, you bring up a great point about Clemson, you know, because if, hey, the Tigers do join the SEC, then um, maybe that changes this conversation a little bit. Maybe North Carolina is sort of the first opponent where South Carolina goes, okay, if we schedule a 10th Power 5 opponent on the schedule, North Carolina will be the very first one on top of that list. I certainly think that that would be the case. But, Isaac, let's get back to this 2023 matchup. Obviously, again, a lot of headlines. You know, you got Drake May versus Spencer Rattler. You got a battle of the Carolinas. And it's week one. So, admittedly, there's not a humongous slate of games to choose from. But this one certainly has got a lot of appeal to it. What are your initial thoughts overall regarding this matchup? It's the kind of thing where I'm I'm both excited that it's week one and wish it could be a couple weeks later because, I, 
like that's the th- what you just said spencer radler versus drake may just two electric quarterbacks that i think is going to light it up and so for, from that regard it's it's phenomenal on the north carolina side of things we do project to be an older more mature team this year and so that's good like this time last year we didn't even know drake may was going to be the starting quarterback right and so uh you, you have that component to it but i i wish that each team had a couple weeks to get their sea legs up under them and then have this matchup in bank of america just a nice like mid-season break from conference play or whatever it would be but it is it is a great opportunity for both programs to find out where are we at right out of the gate this season like that you you talked about that 2019 matchup I don't think I think Carolina folks were excited about Sam Howe but didn't quite know what they had in him folks were excited to have Mac Brown back but didn't quite know like does he still have it or is he over the hill you know those kind of things yeah Um, and so with this specific matchup I expect it to just be a lot of fun up and down the field kind of thing well we can talk about North Carolina's defense which I wait they have one right and so um <laughs> like I, in that regard like that should be a fun game because I, I expect a lot of points to be scored which is always fun for that first saturday night abc game and uh can't wait can't wait to see what happens with it yeah no and it definitely has a different feel sort of compared to say two matchups ago where again it was you know mac brown's homecoming i guess to chapel hill again will Muschamp was kind of trying to save his tenure at South Carolina, and of course, that inevitably did not end up working out in his favor. And now it's kind of, you know, I don't want to say a complete role reversal, but now sort of Mac Brown, there's questions on how much longer is he going to be around in Chapel Hill? Does he have a year, two years left? And then Shane Beamer, it's like, okay, South Carolina's gotten some big nationally recognizable wins. You know, can you continue that now? Can you maintain that level of play? Definitely a lot of things to watch heading into the 2023 season with this week one matchup. Isaac Shade and I are going to continue discussing North Carolina's side of things heading into 2023. What is it about Drake May that makes him so good? What's going on with that defense over there in Chapel Hill? We'll touch on that and more in just a moment. Welcome back to today's edition of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. Continuing our conversation here with Locked On Tar Heels host, Isaac Shade. Isaac, we've talked about Drake May a couple of times already, so let's dive into the skill set that this kid has. Obviously, uh, you know, a lot of people probably would have expected that North Carolina maybe would have had just a slight drop off from Sam Howell just purely because Sam Howell was a really good quarterback in that Phil Longo air raid offense up there in that powder blue. But Drake May has somehow seemingly exceeded that play in just one season. So what is it that makes Drake May so good at the quarterback position? Well, you said it. You said it right, Andrew. Everyone's like Sam Howell is clearly the best quarterback in North Carolina history. And then in one season, Drake May had squared that away. Also, who's Phil Longo? I don't even know anymore. He's at Wisconsin <laughs> now. Um, <laughs> but there's a couple of things about Drake. First off is his size. He kind of like you don't expect him to be as big. And I mean that both in terms of height and like girth. That's a funny word, but we'll use it. <laughs> right. um, he's just he is just a big human being. Um, so th- God has granted him with things that not all of us have. I don't know about you. I'm like five eleven and just like looking up to people like that. I'm saying dead average. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, <laughs> another thing is what God has given him between the ears. This is a smart young man, makes good reads, actually worked through his reads, surprisingly for a lot of college quarterbacks, is a good decision maker. 
uh, for a lot of, for a long time last season, I was legitimately having questions on my show where I was saying like, could Drake may have five or fewer interceptions this entire season? And it was a legitimate conversation. Um, but it, not only does he make the right read, but then he has the frame and skill set and electric arm to make every throw he needs to make to finish and complete those reads. The other thing that's often overlooked about Drake May is he has the ability to take off and make like whether it's um, when he's flushed out of the pocket or Carolina has quite a few designed runs that they will use for him. Uh, the problem a lot of last year was in his youth and uh, excitement. He would forget that there's this thing you can do called sliding and would just take <laughs> off supermaning and about get killed. So um, yeah. hopefully we'll see uh, some more better decision making on that side of it this year. But he he will sneak up on you with his ground game capability. And in fact, was Carolina's North Carolina, excuse me, his leading rusher last season. Yeah, no, certainly uh, had a lot of highlight plays this past year. And I have to admit, the thing that kind of got me the most was Drake Bay. Gotta say, he's a lot more athletic than maybe some people would just give him credit for, just judging a book by its cover. And also, he could make some good throws on the run as well. But you mentioned Phil Longo a little bit ago. You kind of alluded to it. So I kind of will go ahead and lead into my next question with that. Phil Longo is now, I believe, the offensive coordinator at Wisconsin. And obviously, Phil Longo, he is renowned for his high-flying offense, an offense that scores a lot of points. You're going to drive down the field plenty of times, give yourself a chance to continue to just ground and pound against your opponents. And now that's gone. And I'm certainly not going to sit here and say that Drake May is going to somehow just fall off a cliff now that Phil Long goes out of Chapel Hill. But there is, I think, a fair question, Isaac, of whether or not he can maintain what he did last year if there is going to be a slight drop-off. What are your thoughts on that? That's a great question and one that we've been toying with a lot this offseason. So the new offensive coordinator, his name is Chip Lindsay, and he comes in and will bring essentially the same type of offense. There's going to be some new wrinkles and things, but the overall big-picture 10,000-foot view is that North Carolina's offense will look the exactly like it has done. And so in, in that regard, yes, it does take a while to, to get a rapport with the new coordinator, but I don't expect there to be too much of a drop-off. The, the, big, the biggest thing is like Sam Howes last year, there was a massive drop-off in North Carolina's offense as they lost a lot of skill players. And looking at it from the outside in, you might expect the same this year as Josh Downs was drafted, best receiver in the ACC last year. Antoine mm -hmm. Green, Carolina's number two receiver last year, gone off to the NFL as well. But North Carolina has restocked those cupboards. They get all three of their tight ends back, have all like their entire running back room back intact from last season. Uh, the big question, though, on offense is going to be the line. I talked about Drake May's running. A lot of it last year was because he had to, because the dudes up front weren't taking care of him. And so I'm actually more concerned about the line's protection than I am about new offensive coordinator coming in and how that might change things. But in terms of like skill position players, I think Carolina should be able to keep it humming right along. In fact, the ACC locked on hosts voted the Tar Heels as the number one offense heading into this season in the conference. Yeah, and you know, with Drake May's athleticism, you mentioned all the tight ends coming back, all the running backs going coming back. Excuse me. It kind of sounds like that maybe this is North Carolina offense that uh, runs the football even a little bit more this year, just to take advantage of all the experience you got right there in the box. Certainly, uh, it doesn't hurt Drake May in terms of what all he's got coming back for this upcoming season. Isaac, let's shift gears and talk about the other side of the ball, which uh, I know that for North Carolina's case, maybe you don't want to talk about defense, but it has to be brought up when it comes to games like this. 
Uh, North Carolina's defense, I got to say at times, I really didn't know what was going on with them. I know that App State even gave them a lot of fits last year, and App State's a very good program, but you and I both know from our standpoint, you know, you probably never expect to let App State contend with you on the football field. And Gene Chizik, surprisingly, was brought back by Matt Brown for the season, which I think a lot of people are seriously questioning, in all honesty. So, what are your overall opinions on Gene Chizik coming back, and can this defense improve at all in 2023? Well, yes. Uh, These questions are what haunt my brain at night, Andrew. Um, (laughs) I, I actually do think that it was the right call to bring Chizik back this season. The issue for me has been less about Chizik and more about his position coaches underneath him. We talked about the offensive line and their woes. The defensive line is is worse. Um, the, the linebacking core is where North Carolina is set and safe. You've got Cedric Gray and Power Eccles. They run like we, Carolina under Chiswick runs like a 4-2-5. So you'll have two linebackers, basically. The problem is there's not much depth beyond those two guys, but they're, they're gamers. They're always in. The issue is the guys in front of and behind them. The line in the secondary is where Carolina struggled so much last season. The, the curious question for me was not about retaining Chiswick. It was about retaining Tim Cross, the defensive line coach. And so we're going to have to see some big changes there. The secondary lost a lot to transfers, but has also brought in a lot and has some young guys rising up. Dry, uh, Dre Bly is no longer the quarter, cornerbacks coach, excuse me. And so there will be some new blood there. And so there is this thing of this is just Chiswick's second year back in North Carolina. And so you, you do wonder like, about fit and scheme and other guys last year as they tried to figure out who fit where under this new scheme. So I'm really curious to see what happens this year. There's good talk from the coaching staff, but uh, that's what happens every year in June, right? And so we just wait to see if North Carolina can avoid having to outscore every opponent again. I talked about how the ACC locked on hosts voted North Carolina's offense number one in the conference, that defense number 12 out of 14. Yikes. Yeah, no, and when it comes to a defense, obviously, I think everybody would agree that if there's one that you want to be really good, it is your defensive line, because that way, obviously, you could still get some pressure on the quarterback and at least sort of maybe alter their decision-making in quick fashion. And, you know, it's something that mainly South Carolina, they got some question marks at edge rusher. So, you know, I could sympathize with you on that. But uh, certainly an interesting storyline to watch with North Carolina's defense going forward and heading into this fall. Especially right. with Spencer Rattler. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, you get the Spencer out from uh, late last year, then yeah, um, it, it might be a video game type performance from him once again. He is Isaac Shade of Locked On Tar Hills. Isaac, thanks so much for coming on to the Locked On Gamecocks podcast today. Where can all of the South Carolina fans, if uh, they're really interested enough, find your work on the Tar Heels? Thanks. That's very kind of you to say. I'm most active on Twitter at Isaac Shade. One S, two A's in Isaac, and yeah, there is a weird C in Shade. It's a German word that means what a pity. I don't know, but that's where you can find me. Also, for you basketball folks, uh, I am one of the co-hosts of Locked on College Basketball. Come check us out there as well. Yeah, and at the time of this recording, NBA draft is coming up. South Carolina could very well have their first first-round draft pick, I think, since Ronaldo Balkman, who somehow was a first-round pick back in, like, 2005. Gigi Jackson could be a first-round pick. So, again, long, will long be, time. Will be, my friend. Will be. 
I, I, I definitely hoping so on our end, and obviously uh, it'll be long past that, but hopefully that will have rung true by the time this all comes out. Isaac, thanks so much for coming on once again. For all you Locked On Gamecocks viewers and listeners, thank you for tuning in to today's show. Have a great rest of your day. I'll be sure to catch y'all on the next show of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast.